Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me with freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. Welcome to today's episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast, which is New York Sports Talk and Long Suffering Fam. Your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. We're going to be talking some baseball here. Mets and Yankees coming off a very good week. The Yankees go 6-1 and one on the road. Mets go 5-1 and one at home against Tampa and Cleveland to snap out a month-long funk, basically. I'm going to be joined just a bit by a great friend of the podcast, SNY's Anthony McCarron. We're going to talk about where both teams are, because we are approaching Memorial Day, which is the traditional, like, let's stop and look at how the teams are doing in the standing spot and see how everybody's doing. We're going to talk with Anthony in just a bit. We're also going to do our annual summer movie preview here on the podcast. I'm going to be joined by the great John Stanko of Barstool Sports. We are going to go through some of the movies you should be watching for in the summer. A couple have come out already. Guardians 3 came out earlier this month. Fast 10 came out this weekend. So we're going to break all that down with John in just a bit. If you like what you hear on the Just End the Suffering podcast, feel free to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all digital suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering Your Favorite Podcast platform. You can find episodes there. Feel free for your feedback and starting as well to help make the podcast even better going forward. Go check out the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Video version of the podcast, Conversations with Anthony McCarron and John Stanko are up on YouTube. Again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Without any further ado, let's get to our opening tip. We're going to go ahead here and take a look at what's going on with the baseball teams. Catch up on what we missed over the first month and a half. That's coming up here right after this. Two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, opening tip time. Talking some baseball here. And funny thing is with this situation here is that a week ago, if we had this conversation, it'd be a lot different. Than it is right now. Just seven days ago, the Yankees did look like, to their credit, they're possibly coming out of that early season bunk they had. The Mets just gone four and nine against Washington, Detroit, Colorado, and Cincinnati, four of the worst teams in the league, and they look absolutely dead. Come here today, they are both red hot. The Yankees obviously win six out of seven on the road, sweep the Reds, win three out of four in Toronto, a big game in the series in the American League East. They improve at 29 and 20 on the season, they won 11 of their past 14. Big key for the Yankees, getting Aaron Judge off the injury list, obviously. Judge is red hot. Homers four times last week, 13 on the year. Yankoff is much, much better with Aaron Judge in it. We have seen that this week. They're also going to get a bit healthier on the pitching side, which is good. Luis Severino comes off the IL on Sunday. Pitches well against Cincinnati. Gives up one run in four and two-thirds innings. Rotation outside of Garrett Cole, who obviously has been great. Been probably the side on front runner over the first month and a half. They've been hit or miss other than that. And getting Louis Severino healthy will help. There's still some guys on the way back with this team, including Carlos Rodon, who has not pitched yet. Because first he had the elbow injury in spring training. Now he's had back issues. He's starting to work his way through his mouth. It's going to take a long time for him to get back here. If he's back before the All-Star break, I'd be shocked. I feel like you got to take your time make sure he's fully healthy and ready to go. So, Rodon, I think at this point you have to, just, when he's there, great. If not, you have to just sort of move on without him. Giancarlo Stanton, Josh Donaldson, Jose Trevino, all on the IL hamstring injuries. 
That's a really depleted lineup here. You want to start getting those guys back. Tom Lee Canley's on a rehab assignment. That's going to help the bullpen, which has been very good early in the season here. So adding a quality proven arm like Canley can help. Surviving the AL East is very tricky because there is a point here. You look at the standings in the American League East here. The fifth place team in the American League East, Toronto, is just as good as the first place team in the American League Central, which is wild. Toronto's same record as the Twins, and they are nine and a half games back at Tampa. Tampa's off to the best start in baseball. Baltimore has been brilliant in its follow-up to last year's surprise. The Yankees are right there. The Red Sox have done a bit better than we expected. AL East is going to be tough. The Yankees can handle it, though. The other side for the Mets here. The turnaround last week was very stunning because this team looked dead in the water and was playing lifeless baseball here. The starting pitch was not getting deep into the games. The bullpen was getting exposed. The veterans on the team were not hitting. So what did change in the Mets? Well, the kids have come up here, and they've contributed. They've made a big impact. Brett Beatty, Francisco Alvarez, Mark Vientos, they've all been productive players, provide energy to a team that really needed it because there was a sense, especially after that suspension Max Scherzer had in L.A., this team sort of really fell into a funk and sort of felt like, oh, this is the end of last year again. We're not hitting. The pitching is getting roughed up. When we get out of this, the Bay Nets, as Francisco Lindor called them on Sunday Baseball in his post-game interview, and some much-needed pops to that lineup. They feed off each other, which is a positive. The other key for the Mets, they've gotten healthy in the rotation. Max Scherzer now is off suspension. He's over a couple of issues. He's back. Justin Verlander is, is off the IL and in the rotation. Carlos Carrasco is back as well. There was a stretch a few weeks ago. Where Mets were starting Jose Budo, Joey Lucchese, Dave Peterson, Denny Reyes, Tyler McGill. That, those guys were all getting starts, like, pretty much in a row. And that was not helpful. Now only Tyler McGill is here because he's the best of the bunch. The two aces look dynamic on Sunday, the doubleheader against the Guardians, the sweep of them. You have a combined one run, 14 innings pitch. Justin Verlander nearly pulled a mask. 98 pitches over eight shutout innings was brilliant. If the Mets are going anywhere this year. They need Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer to carry them there. The Mets wake up on the day of recording. In the mix of postseason, they're right there, which is crazy thing about considering how life as they were a week ago. The NL East is still in the mix of them because Atlanta is cool off. They are still five back to the loss column. They have 10 more games with the Braves. But the rest of the division is not as imposing as Mary Leeds. The Marlins, they are 500. They've been negative 56 run differential. They still have offensive issues. They only scored 167 runs this season. I would not be as worried about the Marlins. The Phillies have not found themselves yet. Remember last year, they were very sluggish throughout the regular season, having to get hot at the end. Not be surprised the same pattern continues this year. Watching this play better, you give them credit for it. But at the end, this is still a team that is not going to really scare anybody in the long run. So where are we with these teams? We'll find out. But we're going to talk deeper about them with Anthony McCarron right after this. Lindor with a chance to be the hero against his old team. Nimmo runs in a slide. Base hit. And the Mets win it. Lindor against Cleveland gets the winning hit. And the Mets win 10-9. Oh, wow. Down 5 to nothing to begin this game. Alonzo with the grand slam to tie it. Down two runs in the 10th for the second time in three days. And again, they come back to win. And it's Lindor in his first ever game against Cleveland who comes through with the game-winning hit. All right, we are back here talking New York baseball here on the podcast. Join me today, great friend of the podcast, covers the New York teams for SNY. Anthony McCarron is here. Anthony, how are you? I'm good, Mike. How are you? 
Doing good. I gotta say, it's definitely been a very interesting baseball season thus far. I will say the new rules changes that they have put in here, very interesting to me seeing how they played out in the early going. Yeah, same here. Um, I'm glad that the stolen base is making such a triumphant return. Uh, yeah, I grew up with the game in the 80s. Uh, you know, that was one of my wheelhouse decades. Um, there are it's more than one. Um, so I, I liked that game then and, uh, you know, appreciated some of the talent out there that, that was great at base stealing. And, and I'm glad that the, you know, the rules with the bases have made that more of an attractive uh, offensive option for teams. Um, it, it's fun to see things happen. It puts pressure on pitchers. It puts pressure on defense, uh, puts pressure on managers. So that's all good for the game and, and the excitement level. So that's one part I've really liked. And I think if you talk to hitters like Anthony Rizzo, uh, the shift ban is a uh, is a big hit, too, um, you know, because he's well, he's getting more of them. That's for sure. And it, it, I, I would bet that it's I haven't done the research, but I would bet that many of them are uh, shift related or non shift related. I also love the pitch clock too because I feel like the pitch clock, the thing is, takes me, it makes it game flow a lot faster. Somebody who goes to a lot of games, it's nice to, you know, not be actually get out of there at 9 30 sometimes opposed to 10 30. <laughs> I think it makes a big difference. Yeah, I agree. There's a much better flow to the game. Um, I, you know, I actually think that the players have adjusted really well to it. I mean, I know we get violations, uh, both pitcher and hitter. Uh, now and again, but I thought that there would be more of that uh, and more sort of angst coming from the players about it too, but they seem to have gotten in the swing of it uh, pretty quickly, which is great because the game had a real problem with pace of play uh, and the lack of action. You know, if some if somebody was going to strike out, you didn't need the at-bat to take seven minutes, you know, so this is, uh, this is refreshing, and I think that they've done well for baseball uh, as, as a whole. Um, you know, I, I wonder, I, I don't know the answer to this, but I, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll get some answers. Are there gonna be injury implications? Uh, you know, or is it appropriate to even think about that? I, I don't know. Um, you, you know, are some pitchers uh, maybe having a trouble adjusting to it because they don't go through their, you know, I gotta breathe through my eyelids now. Uh, I've gotta become one with the universe and now I'm ready to pitch kind of mantra thing that they do. Uh, you know, most of these high-level athletes have these mental resets that they go through uh, and how that has been impacted. But the play has been great, um, and it's been really interesting to follow it all. As let's talk about the two local teams here. Start with the Yankees here. Obviously, they're every day, 29 and 20. They're right in the middle of the pack in the American League East. Like, if you had to grade their season after about a month and a half, how would you give it? What would you give them? I'd give them a B, um, you know, and, and it, I think it, because they've managed to overcome all the injuries that they've had, of course, that was one of the risks of their roster uh, as well. Um, but they've been definitely hurt by uh, by the injured list. And, you know, you can see that they're more whole now that Aaron Judge has come back and, and doing what he does. So that's a, a big deal. But look, their bullpen is excellent. Uh, you know, beyond Cole, their starting rotation is, you know, eh. Um, but there's also a chance for them to get much better. Uh, you know, I, I love the games that they played against the Rays with and without Judge. Uh, I thought those were uh, indications that they've got somewhere that they can be later this season and maybe even when the weather gets cooler, uh, which will be interesting to see. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not blown away by their season so far. Uh, I'm not, you know, I haven't buried them either. I think there was some panic early on. And, you know, I think, you know, we always take these early, early results and go like, that's what they are. And, you know, that's rarely true. And I think maybe we're seeing the Yankees come into a bit more of themselves lately. 
Yeah, you brought up Aaron Judge. Obviously, I feel like the turnaround really did come when he came back from the injured list the first time here. We had a big league last week, four homers on the road trip here. So, like, obviously, we're not saying Judge hit 62 homers again, but I feel like he's had a pretty good follow-up to, like, what he did last year. Yeah, I think the pace is is almost similar. I, I haven't done the math um, in, a, in a few days, but the, I, I think he's right around that. He's going to hit 50 if he stays healthy the rest of the season. There's no I, no question in my mind. Uh, the talent there, the, the incredible raw power, and the ballpark all sort of conspire together to make him a really good bet for 50 home runs at least this season. Uh, you know, since he's come back, he's got like a 1,400 OPS and 18 RBI in 12 games uh you know whether rbi is your you know statistical cup of tea or not that's pretty darn good uh and you know it really has had this ripple effect on the team i think as well he's irreplaceable uh judge um the yankees would be nowhere uh without him and i think they can go somewhere with him you know the the real test obviously and and you know this has been something that i think a lot of yankee fans were were uh, sort of grinding on all winter you know he didn't have such a great playoffs last year imagine this guy doing what he's done the past two weeks during october uh the, you know the yankees could go far if that happens yes for sure i think they also need some help with the rest of the lineup here because you look at the situation here obviously you mentioned the injuries with Giancarlo, josh donaldson trevino on the aisle with hamstrings and they have a bunch of guys i mean it feels like the line sort of falls off a cliff after like four or five at times when you have like jake bowers lily calhoun getting big at bats here like Apart from the injuries, anything you could see the Yankees doing to try and improve that lineup a little bit? Well, number one is uh, Stanton's return. Uh, you know, I know the injuries are supposed to be off limits, but that's a huge part of this. Um, you know, I don't know what it is uh, beyond that uh, because this is not really the trading season yet. So to, to think that they're going to go out and get some impact bat on the trade market right now, I don't really see it. Uh, I don't see Jason Dominguez, uh, you know, the prized prospect that everybody's in love with, uh, the potential. And, you know, he could be a big-time player. You know, I think he's 20 years old or 21 years old. I'm not sure he's going to come up anytime soon uh, to rescue the lineup or anything like that. So they're kind of in a bind a little bit right now offensively. They're actually scoring. You know, they, they just moved up. I want to make sure I got the number right here. I wrote a bunch of stuff down. But they... You know, they were below average in runs per game in, in, in baseball for a long time, and they've just pushed over. So they've got an above officially above average offense. They're scoring 4.61 runs per game, and the average is 4.57. So I agree with you, Mike. The, the lineup does thin out quickly, um, you know, and I think we're going to have to live with that for a while and, and, you know, maybe hope that some of the hard contact that Anthony Volpe makes turns generates into more results than we've seen more damage than we've seen although he is uh he has shown a lot of power uh home run wise uh you know but he's obviously the batting average isn't great uh but maybe there's more to come from him yes for sure i think the other thing that you love your yankee fans that garrett cole is an out of this world dominant here i mean apart from the one game against the rays where he blew the lead in the end of here he was like up two runs or less in nine stars the are eight and two and it starts at 201 era he's already struck out 68 batters this year, 62 and two-thirds innings pitched here. Do you think this is a Cy Young caliber year for Garrett Cole? So far, yes, absolutely. In fact, before that race start, he was probably the best starting pitcher in baseball, or at least in the top two or three. Uh, and that uh, speaks well of him. You know, he's trimmed back. Home runs have been a problem for Garrett Cole as a Yankee. He's trimmed that back this year. Uh, he's averaging, uh, you know, 0 0.6 per nine innings, which would be his lowest mark since 2016. I think that's a really big deal because, you know, you look 
and body language is kind of a subjective thing, but sometimes when you look at Cole's body language after he gives up a home run, it's like sag. And, you know, sometimes that stuff snowballs on him and that hasn't really happened except for the Tampa start, which was obviously a, a clunker. But I think with the way he's pitched, you can sort of throw that one out the window as an outlier and just say like, he's been great all year uh, except for one. And, and that's been pretty much the case with his season. Yeah, for sure here. And you mentioned earlier, the rotation beyond Garrett Cole has not been great. Obviously a lot of injuries. Luis Severino just got back. Nestor Cortez had a down year. Like, like what's your level of concern if you're a Yankee fan with the rotation beyond Garrett Cole? Well, there is some concern there for sure. Um, you know, Nestor has been kind of a mystery. Uh, you know, when I talked about the pitch clock before, I wonder if he's kind of, uh, victim's not the right word, but I wonder if he's having a longer adjustment to the pitch clock than other people. You know, it, with, with less time to deliver the ball, there's less time for Nestor to do his funk. And, you know, that was a great thing for him to disrupt hitters timing. And so maybe there's a little bit of that going on, you know, hit the pauses in his in his windup. Maybe he's not comfortable doing that when there's, you know, stuff happening and he's got to think through the pitch clock and, and get ready to to deliver the ball and all that sort of stuff. I don't know. That's just me spitballing. But something is different about him this year. Um, you know, the, the, obviously his third time through the lineup issues like the numbers are stark in the first three innings his zra was for a while there it was sub two and then as soon as he hit the fourth and went beyond it was like seven so it's been bad once hitters have gotten another look at him and i you know i think he's got enough variety that that i don't think that it's all familiarity from the hitters um you know he was much better his last time out uh, against a big time lineup so that was a good sign for the Yankees. But yeah, he's been a trouble spot for them. Severino coming back could be really great. Obviously, the, the, the one big thing for this rotation that hasn't happened yet. And, you know, who the heck knows if it's going to happen at this point is Carlos Rodon. Uh, you know, he was their big acquisition in the offseason, um, you know, for the entire team, not just on one, not just on the pitching side, but he was the marquee addition. And we haven't seen him pitch yet. And who knows when that's going to happen would be a big boost. Is it going to happen? Uh, you know, the Yankees sure need it to, uh, you know, uh, beyond that, they've had some issues, obviously Clark Schmidt, uh, Johnny Brito to me looks promising. I know that the, some of the numbers aren't great, but I love his changeup. It's been a very good weapon for him. Uh, maybe hitters are getting used to it and there's more tape on him now, more video and they're figuring him out a little bit. Um, you know, but I, I'm sure he'll be back at some point this season, um, making starts and, you know, maybe contributing. Yeah, for sure here. And the last thing I want to the Yankees before we go to the Mets side here is I feel like Aaron Boone, obviously never popular with the Yankee fans after the playoff <laughs> failures the last two years. I feel like I see he's getting more criticism for like some of his in-game decisions this year as opposed to the past year. Do you feel like that's the case? Well, I feel like he's, you know, you, you said it. I feel like he's always under the microscope. And look, managing in the big leagues to me is a very complicated and very difficult job. And I think people think, fans think, well, you know, he's not playing so, you know, he's on par with me, uh, you know, so I can manage. Well, you know, you can't manage. Uh, the, the, the job is way more than you're thinking when you're, you know, you've cracked open a beer on the couch and Aaron Boone brings in his closer and the closer loses the game. That's not Aaron Boone's fault. Uh, that's the closer's fault. But listen, I, I know that there's been some things about him and he has made some mistakes in the past. And I think he'd, he'd admit to them. Um, but I don't know. I think he's, you know, even if they win the next 20 games, I think somebody's going to find a way to make Aaron Boone, you know, oh, they won despite Boone doing this and Boone doing that. I actually like the way he uses the bullpen. 
because it seems like they, you know, they don't have Mariano Rivera anymore. So you don't have, maybe you don't have to have a designated closer and you spot this guy here and you think this guy's going to work against th- in this situation. And maybe there's two guys on and you bring this guy in here instead of saving him for a, you know, clean ninth. So everybody's mind is, is open and, and relaxed. Uh, you know, I think that's a better way to use your better relief pitchers. And, and look, for all the criticism he's got, particularly for bullpen moves, their bullpen is excellent. It's true. Let's go to the Mets here. I feel like if we had this conversation, we could go the quarter pole grade for the Mets would have been like a D or an F based on like how <laughs> things were trending here. But honestly, a five-one week against Cleveland and Tampa Bay changes that. So, like, what would you say the Met grade is right now if you were grading off over their first uh, forty-eight games? Well, I'm going to grade them against expectations. Uh, you know, so it's not going to be great. Uh, I'll give them a C plus. Um, you know, I think they are a good team. I think they will be a good team. I don't think they've played well. I think their pitching has been a wreck, uh, in part for uh, injuries and in part for uh, ineffectiveness. And, you know, some of the things that they didn't do in the offseason are coming to bite them now. Um, you know, let's take a look at their recent winning streak, right? The, the two things fueled that streak, and it wasn't just, you know, comeback magic. Uh, one of them was starting pitching. You know, the, the starters have a 2.61 ERA over that five-game span, and they also hit 10 home runs in five games. You know, they addressed their starting pitching in the offseason, but they didn't address the, the power in the lineup part of it. And Mets got a lot of credit last year for being the put-the-ball-in-play team, you know, generate offense that way, and, and it worked for the most part. But they should have added, to me, somebody to complement the, the finest home run hitter in the game, or at least one of the top two along with Aaron Judge, in Pete Alonso, and they did not. Um, but you see what home runs do for teams, uh, even the you know scrappy get-on-base types uh, like the Mets are aspiring to be when they hit 10 rockets in five games and they win five times. So, you know, they've got a lot of underperforming veterans. They've I like what they've done by adding the kids to the mix. Uh, I hope to see more of that. Um, but I, you know, they just, they have not played well. Uh, they're lucky that they are not buried. Um, but I think they're going to be around and I think they could make things very interesting. Yeah, I agree with that. I think you mentioned there, the, the baby Mets Francisco Lindors and calling them have made a huge impact, whether it's Brett Beatty, Alvarez, Mark Vientos here. Like what can you see? Like they've really brought besides the power. I feel like there's, they bring a lot to this team. I think so too. First of all, there, there is much more energy around them. Uh, I feel like they were a little humdrum before these guys kind of came and, and added something to it. Brett Beatty uh, hits the ball harder than any player on the Mets. Um, there's no reason he should be losing at-bats to anyone. He should be the third baseman, even if freaking Randy Johnson is pitching uh, against the Mets that day. I don't like the idea of sitting him against anyone, including tough lefties. Just let him play and generate uh, hard contact. Uh, I think that's a great thing. Alvarez, I think, has been a surprise defensively. He's been better than advertised. Uh, I think he's been better than the Mets even thought he was going to be. Uh, he's still very young. I get it. But he has a little flair for the dramatic. He's hit some big home runs for them. Uh, he's definitely one of their better hitters already, along with Beatty. Uh, I think the idea that his position on the Major League roster might be threatened once Tomas Nito and Omar Narvaez come, uh, are, are healthy is preposterous nonsense and should not happen. I think Alvarez needs to be the catcher going forward. Um, and they've really, uh, together, and Vientos as well, I, I like that he came up and, and good for him for the flair of hitting a homer in his first game in, uh, back in the majors this season because that's what they really needed. Um, I, I think that, that they have lengthened the lineup so much because, you know, you Mike, you mentioned it before about the Yankee lineup sort of going 
after a certain point. After Pete Alonso, you know, I said this on SMY the other day, I feel like there were pitchers who would like, they work around Alonso and then they're like, oh, smooth sailing for the next inning and a half. And, you know, no offense to the guys in that part of the lineup, but they haven't produced. And, you know, th- so there is kind of a vacation, a pitching vacation there for, for some of these opponents. And the, the kids with the way they've hit the ball have really made it more of a threat down there. And that's been a big thing for the Mets. Yeah, I want to touch on two things you brought up here with that is number one, this idea that it feels like the Mets as an organization are very hesitant to commit to giving these guys like like close to full time roles or like the bats they need. I mean, what you said, it Beatty sitting against lefties, Alvarez they like put it behind Nito for a long time until Nito got hurt. They had to play him. Vientos like Palmer's they able to sit on the bench the next game here. Like, why do you think that is? Why do you think they're so hesitant to trust these kids to uh, get these at bats? I, I wish I knew the answer, Mike, uh, it, but there is a disconnect here because all we've heard in the Steve Cohen ownership era is how we are going to create a player development monster and generate, we're gonna, just like the Dodgers, and generate roster spots out of our own system and guys will have big roles and do great things you know and we'll have the payroll too so we can add what we need specifically but you know young players will drive us forward and now they've got some of the better prospects around really attractive players and like you said they're hesitant to give them full-time roles i i realize that sometimes these guys and maybe alvarez is is one of them are finishing up development in the major leagues so that's why you're sort of hesitant to give them full exposure to everything on a day after day after day basis you know i i see that but by the same token you know it's incumbent upon them to play the best players and those guys are the best players on the roster for those spots right now i don't think it's close particularly either so if you're gonna if you can't trade them to help yourself at the deadline like you didn't last year when they clearly had a bullpen need uh, for instance when they should have gotten david robertson back then uh if you can't trade them then and you're gonna hold on to them because player development and young players are so vital then when they have a chance to be on the major league roster, they have to play, especially if they're performing. Yeah, I think Alvarez is the lightning rod for that right now. I mean, we've heard the base the last few days. Obviously, Tomas Dio's out on rehab right now. Ornavai is going to be out soon. They brought Gary Sanchez up to see what they have in him. And we've heard the I think Buster Oli said on Sunday Night Baseball, but the Mets were thinking about this. Andy Martini on Baseball Night in New York has said this multiple times this week. And Terry Collins last night, I know, said on the program, he's like, hey, like, the best players need to play. So, like, do you, why do you feel like this is like this thing like I just don't understand with them? It's like this should not be a consideration where the guy has improved defensively. He's hit a lot of great pitching. He's had clutch at bats here. The team loves his energy. Like, I don't get why sending him down for roster flexibility makes sense. It doesn't. Uh, you know, he is in a bind because, you know, uh, the way the front office, not just their front office, but all front offices think, you know, they, uh, options mean flexibility. Flexibility is great if you're the front office because then you you get to make your decisions, right? And your choices and your moves. Um, the idea that Gary Sanchez could stand in the way of Francisco Alvarez being in the major leagues is just so absurd. It's not even it's almost not even worth addressing. But but the Mets seem hell bent on I don't know keeping Sanchez if they can possibly do it. And I understand that he's, uh, you know, he's an attractive power bat, you know, and and last year, despite the results not being great in Minnesota and, you know, the Twins didn't want him back and he's already been in the Giants organization this year and and is out and now with the Mets, uh, you know, Sanchez hit the ball really hard last year. Uh, all the metrics say didn't translate into Bafo results, though. And 
you know, so what are you really doing here? You're hoping that Gary Sanchez like has a decent bounce back as opposed to, and, and in, you know, you're exchanging blocking, you know, probably your best prospect and, and by many accounts, the best catching prospect in baseball, who's already proven he can play at the major league level. You're blocking him because of that. I, I, I just don't, it just makes no sense. It does. I feel like the fans also revolt if uh, you see Alvarez set down here when Nito is ready. I feel like the way they're probably going to do is just stretch those rehab clocks out as long as they can and hope it sorts itself out. Right, exactly. You know, I mean, the fans getting wound up about it, I understand. I feel I, I feel you, fans, on this one. Uh, I mean, that's not going to, I don't think that's going to impact the, you know, the Mets' decision-making um, on it. But, uh, you know, if Alvar- I think Alvarez, if he goes out and hits five home runs this week, that will probably affect it more um, uh, than anything. So, uh, Francisco, you're on the clock. <laughs> that's for sure here. And we talk about, like, obviously, you mentioned the, the kids. Talk about the pitching here, too. And, obviously, the Mets have not gotten what they hoped for out of Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander this season. Verlander was hurt. Scherzer had to suspension a bunch of stops and stars at his schedule here. They both delivered a strong performance at doubleheader on Sunday here. Like, how do you think the Mets can get the most out of them going forward here in order to get where they want to go? Yeah, that doubleheader on Sunday was certainly an example of what Peak, Max, and Verlander can bring to the Mets, and they need that badly uh, for the rest of the season. Um, you know, I think they're it's funny because you know you're you're they're older so you know do you think like well you know lessen their workload you know five and fly six six and and you're done kind of thing or do you let you know verlander like he gave him eight on sunday night it was great it was the boost that they needed um there's a lot going on there i mean whatever i i feel like dealing with those two guys is whatever they think they can do is what the mets should do because they know themselves better than anyone uh, and they've done it at a high level f- across different clubs for a long, long time at, at a, you know, at a peak that, you know, hardly any other person who ever lived reached. So I think their expertise is key on guiding this. And, you know, I mean, I know there's a lot of debate when Max was having his injury issues and he kept getting bumped and people were like, well, you know, just put him on the injured list. And I, I even thought about that as well. Just, you know, give him a reset and let him heal. But like, but he's Max Scherzer and he knows what he's doing. He's not trying to get hurt. And, you know, I know there's a concept of protecting the player from himself, but I mean, these guys are almost, you know, they, they are 40 or almost 40. I think they know what they're doing. So uh, hopefully the Mets will take their lead from them. Yeah, I wouldn't have any Buck Schultz on this spot in terms of trying to manage that rotation with those two guys and the Kodai Senga angle where they don't want him to pitch on 40, like on normal rest as long as possible. Right. Acclimate over Japan is not easy. No, no, it isn't easy, um, you know, and especially when you don't have all the guys that you thought you were going to have. And to me, look, they, they were sort of at the before the season, they were incredibly well positioned in terms of rotation depth, uh, because David Peterson, who seemed to be an emerging lefty for them, was one of their depth guys. Tyler McGill, who's got some really good raw stuff as well was another depth guy you know then like right off the bat they had to dip into the depth peterson has not pitched well uh he's got some work to do to get himself back into uh emerging status in the minors which he seemed to do i guess he was really good in his in his last outing out there uh for syracuse but you know so it's been kind of a it's been a ride uh for jeremy hefner and and buck here with the rotation um you know, Carrasco's back now. Is that a good thing? Uh, you know, I don't know. He's had some trouble w- with effectiveness, obviously. Uh, so, you know, we'll see how they manage it. But this is this is what the Mets were built on. You know, they need 
runs of pitching the way that they've had in this five-game winning streak. You know, we're all sort of uh, amazed and uh, wowed by the home runs and by the by the comebacks and stuff. But starting pitching helped fuel that as well. Yeah, obviously, the other thing you worry about the Mets here is like their bullpen has had a lot of issues throughout the season. I mean, the overall ERA doesn't look bad, but like when you take away the fact that they are, the two guys in the back of the bullpen are in their upper thirties and Robertson and Adovino. They never really got another impact arm in there, even having to take a sign like Zach Britton after Edwin Diaz went down here. And this poor starting pitching really exposed the underbelly of the bullpen, which I think, like, yes, they had injuries there, but I do think that was sort of, like, one of the uh, failures of the offseason. That's not doing enough for that bullpen again. Even before Edwin Diaz got hurt, I thought they needed another bullpen arm, um, even if it was going to just be, like, a Zach Britton kind of like, hey, let's see. Uh, but, you know, now we're, we're I think we're looking at, at, at a place uh, where the, the Mets are going to have to make some moves at the deadline for bullpen pieces. Um, you know, I know they've got some guys that they like, uh, you know, who they're hoping to sort of find, you know, I mean, that teams find these relievers all the time and get like a year and a half out of them. And I think they're hoping that there's a guy or two like that, um, you know, in the system where they can bring him up and all of a sudden he's really good and, and, and that sort of thing. So th- I, I think they've got options, but I don't know, you know, they don't have many sure things um, in the way that David Robertson, to me, is a, is a sure thing. Um, you know, David Robertson has really had a, a wonderful career when you think about it because of how combustible relievers are. This guy has always been really good. And, you know, there are relievers out there who you can say that about, but there aren't, you know, it's not like they're falling off trees where guys have been good for a long, long time. And he's one of them. Uh, you know, he's been so valuable to this team this year, replacing Diaz as the closer. I, I don't know where they'd be without Robertson. Uh, you know, so he at, at, at the very least, he's kind of a shining light in the bullpen. But I think that, that the relief core is a work in progress for sure. Yeah. Oh, obviously, one more thing with the Mets here. You mentioned before the underachieving veterans in terms of, like, why the kids need to come up here. Like, uh, whether it's Starling Marte stepping back after a great year one, Mark Canna having a down year, Daniel Vogel back, like, walking and not doing much else. So, like, what do you think is in the issue with some of these guys? And where Escobar even there as well, where we can see it, his job for, to uh, Brett Beatty early on? Well, I, I'll give Escobar credit because he has uh, become a pro- productive player as a bench player for them. And and you can see that because he's, now he's getting back in the lineup a little bit too because he has been effective for them. And it, I don't know if that's easy for a veteran to do, uh, you know, to cede your job to a rookie and, and then – you know, come back and, and do something good. So kudos to uh, Eduardo for, for, for doing that. But he was not doing the job at the, at the beginning. You're right, obviously. Uh, and that goes for Marte. I wonder if, if Marte is just now getting healthy after this offseason surgery he had. Remember, he jammed his neck also uh, on a stolen base attempt earlier this season. Uh, I wonder if that was an, something that was affecting him or not. But he has not looked like himself. That hit, that home run uh, the other day was a monster hit for him. I wonder if it could be a springboard. Uh, it sure would be a nice narrative if it were, because the Mets could really use uh, his dynamic offensive capability uh, if it comes back. You know, Daniel Volgoback, I think he always sort of fights against the fans' perception of what a DH should be. I think we always sort of flash back to, uh, you know, these big, hairy monsters who are hitting 35 homers a year. That's not what Vogelback is, and he's never really been that kind of guy. Uh, he is really good at getting on base, um, and that's a, that's a talent, and that's a talent that the Mets really respect. I think that the Mets ought to give Vientos like three weeks of full-time DH 
against righties, against lefties. He hit righties in the minors. Uh, I think he had 11 of his 13 homers in the minors against righties. I think they ought to give Vientos a chance to show what he can do with some solid uh, playing time repeated over and over again um, and, that, and push Vogelback to a bench roll and see how that works to see. But, I mean, he's not going anywhere, Vogelback. And I know fans think that, you know, you, you just release these guys and get rid of them. That's not happening, uh, at least not at this point. Um, you know, could would you love to see a little more power from him? Yeah. I mean, but is he going to hit 35? No. Is he going to hit 16? Maybe. Yeah, that's for sure here. And the last question here is obviously they're both interesting spots in the division, Mets and Yankees here. Yankees are a little closer right now in terms of the record, but they are still, you know, dealing with the one of the hottest teams in baseball in Tampa. They have the Orioles who are red hot. They got really stacked division. Mets have crept back. Is the last cooled off a little bit. They're four and a half back there. You have to put your chip on one of them to win the win their division. Who would you put it on right now? Believe it or not, uh, I don't think that they have a chance to do it. But I would pick the Mets over the Yankees in this position just because I think there's there's fewer things in the way there um i still think the braves are going to win the division uh the mets you know as as well as they've been playing recently and the potential to play even better more consistently is certainly there there's also more potential potholes for them aging pitchers you know bullpen issues veterans not actually coming to back to play to the back of their baseball card so uh you know i i think that um uh I think that they've got a better shot because the you know the Braves are it there the Phillies haven't found themselves you know the Yankees to me I, I think the Rays are really good like to beat the Rays we, we we just had the Rays in New York for a week right and they played some of the best games of the season against the Mets and the Yankees but both the Mets and the Yankees had to play like games of the year to get wins off of the Rays uh, in, in in some instances so. I feel like the Rays are legit and that they're going to win that division. Um, even though I don't like the Mets chances against the Braves, I'd say they're, they, they're better positioned to, uh, to win the uh, NL East than the Yankees are to win the AL East. I would agree. That. I still put money on both of them getting in as wild cards at the end of the season. Just based oh, on- no question. They're both playoff teams. No, qu- no question at all. I'm speaking, I, I was speaking solely of the division title. They're both going to make the playoffs and look, I mean, with the talent that they have on the roster, both teams could be very dangerous uh, in October. I mean, we'll see if it comes to fruition. You know, we've got a lot of uh, back data on the Yankees not hitting in the clutch in the in the postseason over this you know latest era since 2017. Uh, they're going to need to overcome that, uh, obviously. And the Mets disappeared at the end of last year, both in the division race and in the in the uh, playoffs, uh, and they've got that to overcome as well but they're both talented teams that ought to be in the playoffs with the expanded opportunity here uh it would be a crushing disappointment if 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 either of them did not uh, participate in october that's for sure anthony thanks for all the time really appreciate it. people want to follow you on social media with your coverage for SMY. how can they do that uh follow me you can follow me on twitter uh at anthony mccarran uh you can also uh hop on the sny website uh, where there's video clips, uh, columns, uh, all kinds of good stuff, lots of fun. Um, so uh, please uh, follow along for the ride. Absolutely, Anthony. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. You bet, Mike. Anytime. We 
are back here on the podcast talking uh, movie time here. Our Star Movie Preview, as always, joined by our movie critic here on the podcast, Barstool Sports from John Stanko. John, welcome back. How are you? Honest answer is I'm exhausted, Mike, but I'm happy to be here. Uh, we're taping this on a gorgeous Saturday afternoon and just got in from doing some yard work for the first time of the year. So um, still getting used to it, but I'm happy to be here talking movies. Yeah, talking movies is always fun here, and this is gonna be should be a fun summer movie season. I would say that this is the first summer season since COVID where there's something to look forward to every month. People are going to be back in the movies at a more consistent basis. So very excited. Lots of potentially lucrative franchises coming back, but we'll see. We'll talk about that. Absolutely. That's for sure here. And let's get to a couple of uh, things here in the movie world here. The Oscars were about two months ago from uh date of recording here. Uh, what is your big takeaway from the Oscars? I mean, everything, everywhere all at once swept the party, right? That was a whole entire thing. You kind of, it was cool how the momentum built throughout the night. And even myself, who's not the biggest fan of the movie, it wasn't my favorite. You can't deny seeing the audience get more and more excited as you kind of knew was culminating with it winning Best Picture. It was cool television and everyone was happy about it. Um, uh, I think the biggest surprise was Jamie Lee Curtis winning Best Supporting Actress. Once that happened, I was like, all right, it's a shoo-in. Like, just write it down. Cast her checks because it's the way it's going to be. But it was a good show. Um, I think it ran pretty well. Jimmy Kimmel did a good job. And it was a feel-good show. Uh, there were really no crazy surprises that people were upset about. And I think that's the first time in a while. So, you know what? Uh, good, good on the Oscars. It kind of came back, and it was a good show. And the audience, I think, also agree. I think ratings are up for it as well. Yeah, that's for sure. I did like the end of it though, when Jimmy Kimmel walks out and they have the sign of like zero years like, with incident. Like that was fun. Yes. Yeah, I mean, he did a good job poking fun at what happened uh, last year, obviously with Chris Rock and uh, Will Smith. And I, I think they did a good job of blending uh, Jimmy Kimmel making fun of how nobody's watching the Oscars or how it runs too long. They were kind of uh, able to poke fun at themselves more than usual, I think, this year. At least that's the sense I got. Um, so it was a good show. Uh, I, I did okay on my predictions. I think I went 16-7, and seven, which isn't great and it isn't terrible. But I, I won some and I lost some. Had n- Did not think Wakanda Forever was winning Best Costume Design. That one was – I was way off. Um, but overall, good show. I enjoyed it. I stayed up late to watch it. Watched the whole thing. Yeah, I did too. I watched the other I was doing some March Madness work here, and we've had some spring movies come out here. Right, what movies have you gone to see so far? How are you feeling about them? Well, Mike, there's only one movie to talk about here. Yes. There's only one movie to talk about. Yeah, It's John Wick Chapter 4. Yeah, We have not talked about John Wick Chapter 4, yes. and I would like to discuss it with you because it is the only movie of the spring that I think is worth multiple deep conversations about. Yeah, I love this movie. I thought I texted you. I actually managed to get there before you because you had a lot of work things going on. I told I texted you ahead of time. I said, hey, you know, like this movie is a lot of fun visually. They give you a bunch of different fight styles, great choreography. I think the whole mix was great and the story was pretty good too. This movie rocks. Yeah. I mean, this movie is is perfect. It was it was Tahelski and, and Keanu Reeves just saying, We're gonna throw everything at the wall. This is everything I've ever wanted to do. We're going to give homage to a dozen different movies, and we're going to make it all work. It's a three-hour movie that flies by. The visuals are stunning. I cannot say this is the best action franchise in terms of using lighting. The club scenes are ridiculous. Scott Atkins with just being a fat, obese guy kicking ass. You got Lawrence of Arabia. There's a whole entire thing is fantastic, but it's a send-off. It's perfect. Visually, it's stunning. This franchise, Mike, went four for four. And you could argue 
any of the movies are its best. You could argue that. Everyone's going to have their preference. But how rare is it for a franchise to go four for four? Literally every single movie people love. There was not one single letdown. It was incredible. I think, what was your favorite fight sequence for me? For me, I love the overhead shot where like, you're playing the video game and he's walking through different rooms in the in the uh, abandoned hotel and just like fighting people. That was so much fun. That was visually the most appealing by far. That one took my breath away. He is blowing people up with a fire blasting shotgun. Awesome. Dragon's breath bullets just decimating people. Um, I think the staircase scene at the end, listen, you can. it's awesome from a visual standpoint. It was very... Frankly, Abbott and Costello slapstick comedy-esque with the people rolling down the mountain, even Wick having to roll back down the stairs and then climb back up. It was perfect. It's also symbolic for Wick climbing to the top and finally getting to the mountain where he's wanted to be and get his freedom. So it worked on a symbolic, but also just a pure entertainment standpoint. It, it All of it was all of it was awesome. My favorite was that drone overhead stuff because you just you, you haven't seen that before. It was something that literally had never been put in an action movie like this. It was like ballet. You're watching bloody, violent ballet, and you cannot look away. If you're not a fan of violence, don't watch this movie. But if you are, this is the most beautiful, uh, just pure action, violent movie since, like, The Raid. Watching it, you cannot look away. It's stunning. Stunning. So it, everything about it was awesome. I mean, this movie... Absolutely rocks. I'm going to watch all four movies probably again this year just to complete it, and it was stunning stuff. Yeah, I think obviously they ended in a way where this should be the last movie. I know there's talks about, you know, bringing the franchise back in some way, whether it's a prequel. We didn't see a body. We did not see a body. We did, we did not. Well, we saw him. We saw him fall down. So I. And we saw it too. I, I, do you think they should go with five? I think they want to because it made a crap ton of money. It was critically received. I think Keanu was down for it if he wants to do it, but like. For me, like, unless you have a good story, like, let the character die. Because I don't, you don't want to tarnish what you've done here with like, having a subpar story bring him back just for sequelitis. I agree. But hear me out. If, if they do five, they don't need to. If Keanu Reeves is, is almost 60 years old, like, he's getting up there. He can't do this forever. If they do a John Wick Chapter 5, have him be the old mentor. Have him go to Russia where he's invisible, no one knows his name, but somebody confines him, and he's the Master Yoda to a new Mr. Wick, if you will. But have that be a transfer, because they're expanding this universe, they're having Ballerina come out, they're having the Continental come out on Peacock. Maybe you don't call it John Wick, but maybe you bring the character back as part of a reboot of this franchise, but just bring him back for some more money, get his name in one more movie, and have him live in Russia, where he's quiet, on his own, he has to teach his ways to a newcomer who's asking for his help. Like, he goes back to his family in Russia. And he's in the snow. Like, it all works out. That that would be my pitch if they were to bring this character back. But they do not need to. Yeah, and he has a dog. Uh, that's true. He has a dog. He got a, I mean, we didn't see the dog very much in Chapter 4, to be fair. Yeah. I mean, I think at the end, is uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character had the dog at that point? Or is he off somewhere else? Yes. Yeah. I believe Lawrence Fishburne's character is the last one seeing the dog. Yeah. Oh, and we, we, we got to talk about Bill Skarsgård. Yeah. This guy... Uh, Stahelski didn't want him to play the part of the villain. He wanted to play a different part in the movie. And Skarsgård was like, I want to play the marquee. He wanted to play this part because he said it was the most fun part. And he, he freaking nailed it, man. Everything about it was grandiose. The French royalty, like Marie Antoinette in giant museums and rooms where paintings are four times bigger than they should be. Outstanding stuff. And he nailed this role being the asshole. He was so good at being pompous. 
Yeah, he was great. I do think you're right about this friend having a problem with Keanu getting up there if they want to keep going here because it's sort of like what happened with Rocky where they did sort of transition to the mentor and the Creed series that worked here. 24 yeah. runs of that issue with Kiefer Sutherland where like he's getting up there and like they can't figure out how to successfully revive the show without him. So like it's not easy. No, it's not easy. But I mean, listen, who are we to doubt this franchise and this character from bringing awesome content? No one thought they would go four for four. No one thought they'd get crazier, crazier, and crazier, crazier. Like, they have proved everyone wrong at every single level. Like, I no joke, John Wick Chapter 4 should be nominated for stuff at the Oscars. Based on the stuff I've seen thus far this year, this movie is visually stunning. It takes chances and it pulls them off. Like, absolutely crazy. In the club scene with Scott Atkinson, with the water falling and the lights going everywhere, to make that look crisp and clear with the action and not have the audience confused at all, that takes talent. Like, they're getting better at making these movies. Yeah, like, they, maybe. Make more. Like, I don't care. I'm going to watch them all. They should be definitely be in the mix for cinematography this year, for sure. I would love it to be. That's going to be, like, my campaign. Will it be? Probably not, because the because it's just an action movie, right? It's not, like, high art or whatever it is. But, like, this movie is stunning to look at, let alone just entertaining and, and mind. You put your mind like a cocaine. You can't stop looking away from it. It just makes you crazy. Be fair to a chance though, didn't Top Gun get nominated in this category too? It did, but Top Gun, I think it wasn't an action movie, if you will. Like, I don't consider Top Gun an action movie, do you? Well, I mean, he's got plenty of action sequences with all the with all the uh, flights and stuff. I guess so. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think there are action sequences, but it's not an action movie. I think there's still some romance and some drama involved in it. And I mean, it listen, they both are very profitable movies, maybe. They, they maybe this year's Oscars. This is looking way in the future because God knows it's gonna be eight thousand blockbusters this summer. But if they want a movie that everyone loved to be t- in the awards conversation, maybe they bring this one in. Like Top Gun Maverick brought a lot of people into the Oscar conversation last year. Yeah, that's true. Here, I just want to throw a couple out of notes out here for you. Did you see Creed three yet? I have not seen Creed three yet. No, I'm waiting for it to come out, and I need to see it. I have not seen that yet. Yeah, yeah I'm excited to get your take on that movie because I thought I enjoyed it a lot. Got the majors for I know put the uh, off camera stuff aside. Now he did deliver a great performance in the movie, which is good because like they left the movie where a place where like he does not have to come back in the future, which is good. But like he delivers a great performance in the movie, and I think you have some fun with some of the choices. Michael B. Jordan made as the director. I what I've heard about Creed three and Jonathan Majors is that it makes uh, Quantum Mania right where he was the villain in that movie. It makes that movie even worse when you see how good Majors was in Creed three. Like it, it makes his it makes that movie and his villain completely abysmal to what Majors was in the Creed franchise. Yeah, Major, yeah, Major's still the best part of Quantum Media by far, but like he's much better in that in Creed Three than he is there. Yeah, that that's what I've heard. I'm gonna watch it eventually. It just I haven't gotten to it. March Madness and kicking my butt, but we're good. Are you gonna see Mario? I'm going to see Mario once it comes out on streaming. Yes. Um, I was not going to go see this in theaters when it was coming out, but I knew it was going to make a crap ton of money and, and boy, oh boy, did it. Um, but I, I think this is going to be, how do I, it's going to be like a Sonic the Hedgehog for me. Like I'm going to enjoy it. I don't think it's going to blow my socks off and like, I'm going to want to like discuss it a lot, but I think I'll be entertained while watching it for all the little nuggets and such. Yeah, that that's kind of the vibe I'm getting from it. I don't know what what are your thoughts. I have not seen it yet. I'm going to. I'm planning on seeing it soon, either like in a theater, like like on a matinee showing, or like on streaming. But like from what I've heard, like it's not like the best movie, but it's a lot of fun. 
Right. That's exactly what I think it is. It's built for its audience and it's going to make a crap ton of money and they're going to make a sequel. So, but again, every, everyone who's watched it says they have enjoyed it. Like no one's like walked out of the theater and, and talked about it being like, that was bad, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And I did get to Guardians Volume 3 last weekend. So I. People love that. That movie was great. They're like, Jane, I guess you feel much better about the future of DC with James Gunn running it than I do about Marvel because I don't think Marvel takes the right lessons away here. It's a very character centric movie where we focus more on these characters opposed to connecting everything, which makes it great. Rocket's the heart of the movie. And. There are scenes in that movie that, like, if I told you them out of context and said, these will make you cry, you would think I'm nuts. But, like, that's what James Gunn does. I James Gunn is is good at what he does. Um, again, I think Guardians 3, just from talking with people at work and listening and reading things, it's the, the first great Marvel movie in years. It's yeah. the first one where it's like, they're back. Like, this is, like, the, co- the quality and content people expected, which is maybe too high of a bar, but uh, people people seem to really, really dig it. Yeah, I would say as a note to Marvel here, like, please take your notes here and what people are saying about this movie and apply it to your other movies because I said this last week on the podcast. I'm like, a couple weeks ago on the podcast, I said, like, we don't care about, like, what connects first. Like, make us care about the, this movie first, make it good, and then later on, let us earn the connection. We haven't earned it yet with a lot of these characters that are coming in. No, but again, that means you need origin stories of these to build relationships with these characters, right? You can't just throw them in. So, and that's tough to do now. I think it's tough to get people to buy into origin stories now without making it a more overarching, like, big picture type thing. Like, am I wrong in saying that? I think it's hard to pull off something like an Iron Man now, which is self-contained, but introduced you to a character. I think audience now are is craving more. I think, like, there's a lot of times, like, oh, like, you need to know these 55 things and watch these 55 things to understand what's going on in this movie. I think, like, audience are saying, oh, like, it's too much. Like, give me something I could just, like, watch in two hours, a 2.15, and, like, Feel like I learned, like connected this character, having to st- do all my homework and watch like seven Marvel shows and three other movies. Well, that's why I'm out on Marvel because it got to it got to be homework. So if this movie it dismisses with the homework and just says go have fun at recess, then then count me in because if I don't need to study up, then I'll ace the test. Yeah, Guardians is very much like that. You do not need the homework. Very cool. Very cool. All right, so that's what's going on right now. It's the first uh, summer movie here. Here, it's also very weird. It's the only. True Marvel over here. I mean, we have Marvel adjacent coming up with uh, yeah. Spider-Man, but like the MCU sitting out the summer after Guardians. Well, I think Guardians kind of started off the summer, right? And uh, the summer schedule seems to keep on creeping forward every year. And it started it off on a high note, made a lot of money and a lot of high praise. Yeah. So let's look at some of these movies here that are coming up here. Obviously, the big one just came out last weekend here. Uh, Fast 10 here. Like, What do you expect here? What do I expect from Fast 10? Um, I have a complicated relationship with this franchise, Mike, because I love dumb action movies. Love them. I will gobble them up. Good, bad, ugly, whatever. Fast 9 was atrocious. It was it was by far the low point of the franchise. Uh, by far. Um, with that being said, I am excited to finally watch Fast X because I think I love Jason Momoa as the bad guy. The trailers for this movie made Jason Momoa seem like an attractive Joker just embracing chaos and destroying everything that Toretto loves. And I think that's great because I think Dominic Toretto is the worst character in the franchise. (laughs) So I think I'm going to enjoy seeing Toretto uh, demolished. I would love for him to actually, you know, have some consequences like that will actually matter. Um, So I I think this movie is going to make a lot of money. It's going to do what it does. Um, I hope it kind of strips down a little bit in terms of the the craziness because fast nine did too much in, in like a two and a half hour window. And that whole space sequence was 
terrible. Uh, so I think this movie is going to be pretty good. I think it's going to make some money, not as much money as people expect, but still going to cross over the 500 million threshold and be very profitable. They're still making two more after this. It's now a three-part finale. This is the first of three of a three-part finale. I, I don't know how you can extend this out anymore, but I color me excited. I don't know if I'm going to watch it in theaters this summer when, I, when I'm quieter down, but i definitely going to tune into this when it comes to streaming because I, I like having my brain turned off for a couple hours. So, yeah. yeah. I'll say in terms of that movie, though, this feels like the franchise sort of like taking the Walking Dead where approach was like, oh, like, it's the final season. No, wait, it's part one of the final season. No, wait, there's three parts of the final season. No, wait, there's three more spinoffs coming. Like, they'll never really be gone, this franchise. I think this franchise is going, once it ends, finally, it's going to be like in 2026 when part 12 comes out and Toretto rides off into the sunset. Um, how shocking would it be if they killed Toretto? That would be a, incredible for me. Maybe not for the franchise, but for me. But when he rides off into the sunset, I think you give it five years after that, and they're going to reboot it somehow, some way, to just bring it back. Yeah, but this is the most profitable, one of, if not the most profitable franchises of all time. It might be the most profitable movie franchise of all time. So crazy that that this can happen in terms of just nine movies and now ten coming out. People are still excited. Yeah, there's going to be some minor character in the 12th movie that like five years like, oh, wait, it's his story now. That's right. Well, yeah. doesn't he have a son? Or doesn't Paul Walker have a son? Right? Yeah, Paul Walker's yeah. character has a son, no, and he's in danger in this movie. Yeah, and he's going to build a fatherly relationship with the Toretto's, both Vin Diesel's character and John Cena's character, because you know they're brothers, and that somehow happens. So maybe the reboot of this franchise is uh, Paul Walker's son in the in the movie universe, uh, growing up to uh, become his own fast and furious hero. Yeah, that's for sure. Here, go to the Disney live action well here. The live action Little Mermaid here. Any, are you interested in this at all? No. Uh, <laughs> honest answer. Do, do you think this looks good? I can't tell. I I don't think it looks like visually. I don't think it looks good. Like the trailer, I was not impressed with the visuals at all. Um, and they don't have a great track record with these live action stuff. Um, and they're like it just doesn't look good what who is this appealing to like the younger audience are they going to want to go see this or is this going to be an older audience bringing their younger kids to see it but the older audience has been burned by not so great live action movies recently so they might not be excited i am very skeptical of the little mermaid and how successful it's going to be plus you know how like this like audience is now in terms of things you know there's a whole part of like you changed my movie. I'm not going to watch it because you changed, like, the races of characters. You know that's going to run into that issue, too. Well, they also changed the lyrics to the song. Uh, have you heard about this? I have I've not heard but, about this. Yeah, uh, the You Kissed a Girl song, right? The the climactic when they're rowing in the boat and they're singing the Kiss the Girl. Yeah. They changed the lyrics to the song to be more society appropriate, if you will. Yeah. So it's not, like, pressure or whatever. Yeah. And... I, I think people are, I am upset about it because that's the whole premise of the movie is like, she needs to be kissed. She wants to be kissed and he's not doing it. Um, and it's just one of those things where it's like, you're changing the words to the most famous song in the movie already. You're already driving into the danger zone by remaking it. And then you're changing the most iconic part. And basically the whole premise of the movie, because you're saying she doesn't want to be kissed when she needs to be kissed to have her voice and have her love and whatever, like, very confused about what that's going to be. They're defending it, whatever. I'm sure it's still going to make a decent amount of money, but in terms of reviews and stuff like that, I'm not expecting it to be that positive. I'm not expecting it to do well in theaters. I think it'll do well in streaming once it comes uh, once it comes out on Disney+. Plus. But in terms of the in-theater experience, I don't think this is going to be that popular. 
All right, so let's go to one. I feel like this is probably the next one on my list to go see in a theater here. I don't know if you're going to get to it until it's streaming, but the Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part 1. So, like, are you pumped for this one? Yes, I am excited. I, I love the first one. It blew my mind out of the water. The animation style is nuts. Um, and the last thing I read about it is they're still working on this movie now, even though it's coming out soon. Like, they're still f- tinkering with it and stuff. Uh, part of me wants to go see this in theaters and and bring uh, my fiance's little brother, Max. He's eight years old, nine years old. Bring him to go see this because he would be enthralled by this. This is just going to be two hours of crazy action and cool looking animation, right? So it's one of those things where I'm nervous that they're combining so many things into a two hour production. I don't love that, but there's no, you after the success of the first one, it coming out of nowhere. This one's going to be a front runner for awards and for money and for critics and everything. So I might have to hop in line because when something takes me by surprise, I tend to enjoy it going forward. So maybe I'd take a max to the movie theater and enjoy this one. Yeah, I could definitely see this being the mix actually for the most animated feature Oscars, especially if it is like if it's making it successful as the first one was, or like in terms of like audience reception. I think audience reception to this is going to be unanimous praise. I, I think there's no denial. People have been waiting for this for a long time. Since the first one came out, they wanted more and they're, they're finally getting it. So, and this is like you said, this is the MCU adjacent movie. This is the only MCU character that's coming to life this, this summer. So people are going to be craving for that comic book experience and Spider-Verse is going to deliver. Yep. We'll go next here. Transformers rise of the beast. This franchise still exists. This franchise still does exist. Yes. Um, I, I, I've seen all the Transformers movies. I don't enjoy the Transformers movies. Again, it's like the dumb action where you turn your brain off and you think it's okay. Um, I, I don't know how this one's going to be because, I mean, Bumblebee was great, but isn't this like a prequel to like when Optimus Prime happened? Isn't it like, a, like an in-between sort of thing? I have no idea what the Transformers timeline ever. Cause they've, they've changed it like five times. So according to IMDb, the plot is unknown and it's reportedly based off the Transformers spinoff Beast Wars. That's the only thing it says on IMDb. Um, now, there are a crap ton of people in this movie. Like you got Pete Davidson, Michelle Yeoh, Peter Dinklage, Ron Perlman. You got Anthony Ramos being the main character. Like you got a lot of things happening in this movie that may make people interested. But you're going to have to prove to me that a CGI fight fest is going to pull me in into the movie theater rather than just watching it at home. Even though this is probably something you should see on the big screen to see all the little intricacies of the of the special and visual effects. But I am curious to see how this movie will do because it's been a long time since we had a great theater Transformers movie. Like Bumblebee, right? That was the last one that kind of got people by surprise. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw the trailer for this at Guardians 3 and it did not grab me. So, like, that's not a great sign in my book. No, but the trailer doesn't – is that the one that has Anthony Ramos coming out of the car looking like a badass with a bag? Yeah. And it's just, like, looks ridiculous. My fiancé watched that. We were watching a basketball game. That trailer happened. And she's like, that's the cheesiest-looking thing of all time. <laughs> and that was her – that was the only thing she said. That was the only, first time she ever saw it. She's like, that's cheesy as hell. So, I don't know. All right. Let's go, let's go on here to DC Part 1. The Flash is coming out in June here, and it's going to be – this looks like it could be very, very wild. I don't know what to make of this because people around the movie freaking love it, right? The DC people are like saying that this is going to reset the whole entire thing. It's going to be a massive success. I think the Ezra Miller controversy has now gone by the wayside and it's been replaced by Michael Keaton. What's he doing in this movie controversy? Saying weird lines. Like, 
I don't know what this movie is going to be, but I think it's going to be incredibly important for what DC does going forward. So as crazy as this sounds, I'm going to watch this movie, but I am more excited for what happens after the fact and the the threads that start dripping out of the success or failure of this movie rather than the movie itself. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that makes sense here because you're always saying like the impact it has because obviously if this thing makes a bazillion dollars, they're going to bring Ezra Miller back and do another Flash right. movie in the new universe. Whereas if this one does, they say, okay, well, he reset. Now it's going to be somebody else and we move on. Right, exactly. So it's, I'm very curious what's going to happen with that because this is going to have lasting effects. In the day of recording today, there was a news about who James Gunn is casting in his new Superman movie. So they're going after big stars in these big movies when he's going to have this envisioning for what this new DC movie universe is going to look like. So this is kind of the last the last ball to drop in terms of the way Gunn is going to reshape everything in the years going forward. And it's either going to be a, he's going to be a big hit or a big bomb. And I don't know what to expect in terms of box office on this. Like, I don't think it's going to do Guardians 3 numbers, but I think it's going to do better than Quantum Media numbers. Like, I think it's going to be somewhere on the in-between. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I feel like it, I feel like if it has the Creed three track in terms of box, I think it's successful for for them considering the amount of controversy that we've had. Yeah, I guess so. I, I would agree that would be a success in terms of the controversy, but is it a success in terms of investments and the drama behind the scenes of it? I I don't know. It's it's an interesting debate, which is why I'm excited for the for the threads that are going to happen after the fact. Yeah, I think word of mouth is big for this movie. I think if people love it, it's going to do huge. But if people come out of that movie saying this was not good, like Quantum Mania, the first had a huge first beginning and it sank like a stone. Right. That's a great point. That's a great, great point. All right. Let's go on here to Pixar in the game here. Elemental. Is it you see anything about this? Um, I know it exists. That's pretty much all I know. I this one has not been on my radar, so tell me about it. I was curious if you had anything on because like this is it feels like a mysterious movie. I haven't really seen many trailers for it, but it is Pixar and they usually are a hit machine, so like this one I have my eye on in terms of like definitely might be a streaming option when it comes to Disney Plus, but like I'll keep an eye on see like if this becomes like an inside out, but he's talking all that. Say, oh, this is amazing. I mean, I do love inside out. You know what catches me uh, in terms of the IMDb of Elemental? It's 93 minutes. This is going to be in, out, bing, bang, boom. Makes me more excited to watch it. Yeah, that's going to be interesting here. Let's go now to uh, like another another uh, franchise is coming to an end here, supposedly. Indiana Jones, the Dial of Destiny here with the de- with, de- with some de-aging of Harrison Ford. Yeah. I'm conflicted on this, Mike. Going to be honest with you. Um, I, I'm excited for this movie. I love James Mangold as a director. I love the character of Indiana Jones. Um, I I like the, the new additions to this movie. They're bringing back a lot of the old, as long as he's bringing in some new. I like uh, Mads Mikkelsen. Love him. Great bad guy in everything he does. We got Boyd Holbrook coming into the fray. Um, I'm excited to see Indiana Jones defeat Nazis. Always exciting. The trailer, it seems ridiculous. Oh, you is. have you have 8,000-year-old Harrison Ford jumping out of a plane with a <laughs> parachute, and I wish I could believe it, but I just can't. Yeah. So I think it's going to be really hard for James Mangold, and I think he could pull it off, but it's a tall task to have the audience buy into a senior citizen kicking ass on a treasure hunt. <laughs> Fair. I'm going to be watching, curious how Mangold does it. Considering James Mangold's coming to the Star Wars universe in a few years, considering he got tapped to do a movie about the origin of the Jedi. That's coming soon as well. Uh, James Mangold makes good movies. He just knows how to make good movies. And it, I think it is 
huge that like Steven Spielberg saw this movie and I think he said, I'm paraphrasing or quoting, he says, I thought only I could make movies like this. And like he loved it. So that makes me more excited about it. But I I just I wish the trailers got me more amps. Like the music is great, the nostalgia's there. I just wish that the visual of Indiana Jones riding on a horse, dodging bullets, jumping out of like airplanes and saving uh, damsel in distress, uh, Helena Shaw, played by Phoebe Waller-Bridges, who I guess is his goddaughter. Like, I wish I could see him being the hero as plausible, but I'm struggling with it right now in my brain. Yeah, that makes some sense here. So in terms of uh, the, ne- the next thing we'll here, we go to Tom Cruise here, Mission Impossible, uh, Winston, Dead Reckoning Part 1 here. We thought Tom Cruise dominated last year the Top Gun Maverick. Is he going to do it again with this movie, in your opinion? I think this movie is going to make a crap ton of money because people are going to see Tom Cruise. He was in Top Gun Maverick. Oh, my God. And this is the seventh entry in the Mission Impossible franchise. And this franchise was thought left for dead after Mission Impossible 2, but Tom Cruise has brought it back and it's gotten better and better and better and better. Fallout was great. Outstanding. This movie has gotten so much press for its behind-the-scenes stuff in terms of, like, they're putting out 10-minute, like, mini-documentaries about the stunts that he's doing which is crazy. Like he's on airplanes, like promoting stuff. He's jumping off of like mountain, like he's doing crazy stuff. Very interested to see. I want to see a new trailer. We haven't gotten a new trailer in a very long time. Um, So I'm excited for what this franchise is going to become. It's part one of two. I hope that they can end it well and get people excited for part two, because I'm a little bit worried about the two part finale thing. I don't like the three part fast and furious ending. I don't like the two part ending here. So I hope that they could though have a, satisfying ending while leading into the next one. Yeah, that's for sure. Let me keep an eye on that here. Then we have the big Civil War movies on July 21st. Oppenheimer versus Barbie. That's going to be wild. Are you Oppenheimer or Barbie Hive? Which one are you? You know I'm a Nolan guy. I have to be on Team Oppenheimer. I am Team Oppenheimer as well. I, I'm more excited for Oppenheimer. Let's start there then. Oppenheimer. How you how you feel about this one? Because like, I watched this trailer again recently and before Guardians 3 and like, it looks incredible, and we know Nolan can deliver great movies, so I'm very excited for this. I The new trailer got me very excited. This seems very much more of a, a character-based movie, more than a theory-slash-spectacle-based, if that makes sense. Like This movie is going to follow Killian Murphy portraying Oppenheimer and going to kind of tell his story the way I see it. He sees himself as a god at the start of this. He's rallying troops. He's gathering a team. We need to beat the timeline of the Nazis creating the atomic bomb, and we're behind. So here's a race. We're racing the Nazis. I am a genius. I'm assembling other geniuses, and we're going to create this device. He's like god. He's so smart. And then when he creates it, you're going to see him crumble. You're going to see the god realize he flew too close to the sun, and you're going to see that pressure, and he's going to collapse. And I'm very curious to see if that's a story that Nolan tells because I would like to see a character portrayal like this and have Murphy a chance to really act, like to be seen as an actor, not just as the, the character from Beaky Blinders or something like that, because I think he's really talented. So very excited for Nolan to create a character-based movie that's going to have all the science and special effects and all that stuff. But it's fascinating to me that this is the way the story is going, and I'm very, very excited for it. Yeah, I feel like in terms of like, uh, in terms of like, the Nolan, there's always some sort of like Nolan, like misdirection of some kind. I feel like he's much more in line of like, Dunkirk, where, like, the timeline yes. is sort of the issue as opposed to, like, Interstellar or some of these other ones where it's, oh, we're going to do, like, time travel shenanigans to sort of, like, figure it out. I think this is going to be much more right. like, like like a tra- traditional storytelling mechanic that he's inverts in his own way. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, it, it's got classic storytelling components, right? It has 
a hero, he needs to assemble a team. He needs to assemble a team to defeat evil people. These evil people are the Nazis. The Nazis are ahead in the race, and the Americans, America, needs to take down the Nazis, win the race, and destroy evil. If you think about it in very rudimentary puzzle pieces, it's perfect. It fits together nicely, but no one is going to be there to make it, instead of like a five-piece puzzle that's easy to understand, he's going to make it a 2,000-piece puzzle that's going to have the same picture at the end but so many different intricacies plugging in. That's what I'm most excited about. Yeah, excited about that one too. And the Barbie movie, I will say, the amount of hype this thing has gotten in terms of like how mysterious they're being about it, the people that are in this thing, as a lot of people saying like, oh, like, I can't tell you what I did. Like this to me either is going to be like one of the biggest hits of all time, one of the biggest flops of all time. I, uh, I didn't love the, the newest trailer that came out. People were like, oh, Barbie land, whatever. Like this is cool. You have all the different Ken's you have a, you're going to have a dance party, a dance off. You got all the different Barbies. The only thing we saw in the last trailer was in Barbie land. This is going to be like an allegory of the cave story. She's going to leave Barbie land and go to the real world. Right. That's what I want to see. Everything that's been leading up to this movie has been the the pretty, like the the pink, the, the abs, and all that stuff. I want to see the grimy. Like I want to see what happens when it when it gets brought into the real world. But we haven't seen any of that yet, so it's tough for me to get excited about it because they're they're withholding it, which is good because it makes me interested, but also bad because I want to be amped up to see it to know I'm getting what I want. So that's kind of where I'm at with this Barbie movie. Yeah, that's 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 one I'm gonna sort of hear what happened to that one. I'm not gonna see it here, but rapid fire on the August stuff because that's usually the sort of like the dumping ground for what's left over the summer here. Did you know they're making a movie about the haunted mansion ride? Uh, I knew there's a movie coming out. I know the cast is ridiculous. Like there are so many people in this movie. Like Jared Leto, Rosario Dawson, Jamie Lee Curtis, Winona Ryder, Owen Wilson, Danny DeVito, Dan Levy, Lakeith Stanfield, Tiffany Haddish. So many people in this movie. What's it about? Like, is it about a ride? Like, I'm kind of confused. Like. I'm not super excited about it, but there's a crap ton of people in it. And the last Haunted Mansion we had was the Eddie Murphy movie, right? From yeah. back when we were kids. Yep. Like, long, long time ago. So, I don't exactly know why this is being made, but I am shocked at the amount of people involved in it. Yeah, me too. That's a wild one here. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are back again here for Mutant Mayhem. I forgot this franchise is still alive also. Cowabunga! <laughs> Mike, I'm going to be honest. I didn't know this movie was coming out. I saw your rundown. I watched the trailer. I'm stoked. <laughs> I I watched Teenage Mutant Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles growing up. Like I, I love it. I'm a Leonardo guy. That's my guy. I'm gonna watch this movie. I watched the newest ones, uh, the couple that Michael Bay made with Megan Fox in. I think is April. Like I'm all about this. I want to see a crazy shredder. Like I, yes, let me eat some pizza with Michelangelo. I'm all for it. All right. So Stan goes in on that one. That's his, that's his like end of the summer movie here. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Did you know they're making Gran Turismo, the video game, into a movie? Yeah. The trailer came out, like, last week. The video game, you're going to get a tryout, and then you're going to get to be an F1 racer because video games are just like real life. And it, this movie is the most 2023 movie of all time. <laughs> like, if you just took culture now and just put it into a movie, it's, Gran Tur- it's like Gran Turismo, like, I play this in a video game. I could do this in real life. Like, you're you're taking that movie and making it literal. So, um, it, it's just very interesting. I'm not entirely sure what to expect from it, but uh, I, I'm going to watch it on streaming because I like racing movies, and sure. But, man, oh, man, this movie is so 2023. Yeah, imagine, this is almost like imagine, like, somebody's like, oh, like, I played the last. I was like, like they, they pluck you in the movie. Like, oh, you're going to survive the zombie apocalypse with us. 
Right, exactly. <laughs> sure. It's like, oh, I fired a gun, you know, in a video game. I can handle the kickback of a shotgun. Like, sure. Yeah. Yeah, like I can I can get myself I can I can survive uh, fungus spores. Yeah, absolutely, no problem. Just don't breathe. Yeah, fine. Yeah. yeah. Last the last one I have on the list here is another DC movie in August here, Blue Beetle. I have no clue what this is about either. I think this movie looks like crap. <laughs> Straight up. I'm sorry. Like I watched the trailer, not interested at all. Just no interest whatsoever. Um, sorry. Uh, the Blue Beetle character, I don't know a lot about it in terms of the lore either. I think I only played it in terms of like uh, the Injustice video games a bit, like those the, the fighting kind of Mortal Kombat style games. I think I played as that character a bit, but man, oh man, I'm not interested in this movie. Although I will note here, James Gunn apparently has said this that this character is going to be brought into the DCU that he's working on here. So it's an interesting to see here. He does he did see enough he liked. He's going to keep this character involved going forward. All right. Well, that's, I didn't know that. I guess that's a vote of confidence from somebody who knows the comic book universe. So interested, but tell you what, making no effort to see this in an expedient fashion once it comes out in August. Oh, me either. Yeah. All right. Last thing here. Obviously, you have your own picks, I'm sure, for summer that like you have that we have not covered here. Anything else that you're looking for in terms of the Stanko category? I'm going to tell you one movie, Mike. There's one movie. Yeah. One movie I'm really excited about. You, talk, you touched on most of them, and there are a lot of other movies, too, but there's one movie I want to talk about. And there's no way you're going to guess it. There's no way. You want to give – I'll give you one guess. I have to look back at the movie calendar. I couldn't even tell you what else going on besides what I looked at. All right. You want me to tell you? Sure. The Meg 2, The Trench. I did not peg you as, like, I'm I'm in for the second Meg. Hey, I'm so excited for this movie. I really, really like the first one. Like, I watched it, and I was like, this movie is absurd, and I love every single bit about it. Like – it embraced what it was. It was bonkers. This past summer, uh, this uh, earlier this summer, earlier uh, not this summer, crazy earlier this year, Emma and I took a vacation to Florida, and as part of this vacation with our friends, we did monster movies throughout the week, and we watched a bunch of monster movies. And this was the first one we watched. And Emma and I watched it together, and her friends hadn't seen it either, so I got to introduce them to it, and they were like, "What is this? This is absolutely insane." Emma's yelling about the science of dinosaurs and sharks. And I'm just like, you just got to enjoy it. So we're going to go see the Meg 2, the trench in theaters when it comes out on August 4th. And we're going to laugh our asses off because this movie is ridiculous. It's got Jason Statham flying through the air on a jet ski with a spear, like freaking like gladiator charging. If you think about it, there's a scene. The poster is literally Jason Statham with his foot on the Megalodon's nose pushing off of it because Jason Statham's thighs are stronger than a Megalodon. I am all about this movie, Mike. It's perfect. It's my version of Sharknado. I'm so excited. You could do a double feature and go see TMNT right afterwards. I could. Hell yeah. Let me <laughs> embrace my inner child of non-logical action nonsense. I'm very excited for this movie. I want to see sharks attack humans, rip them in half, and then a big battle at the end at the sea that makes no sense in terms of physics, and I won't care at all. Yeah, I had my inner child moment, I think, like, last month, because, like, I was a kid, I was, I grew up on the uh, Mighty Warfare Power Ranger era, and Netflix did that reunion thing, and yeah. that was fun. Like, the CGI in the Megazord was crap, but, like, it was fun. <laughs> Listen, if it reminds you of something that you love, and it's just something stupid, and you can shut your brain off and enjoy it, embrace it. That's going to be me with the Meg 2. I know it's not going to be critically good, but guess what? It's going to make a lot of money. In the U.S. and in China, because it has China's biggest action star in it, so it's going to make a ton of money overseas, and I'm going to enjoy the hell out of it. So let me have it. 
Yeah, let you have it, John. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. People want to follow you on social and keep up with some of your amusings on the movies. How can they do that? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and social media at jstanko99, or um, you could read my stuff at stankosstance.com. Awesome, John. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Enjoy the movies. Right. And with that, we're getting this podcast of the week. I want to thank my guest, Anthony McCarron, for hopping on here to talk New York baseball, see how we're doing at this point of the season. I also want to thank John Stanko for coming on the podcast to do our annual summer movie preview. More good stuff like this podcast, including my look at the schedule predictions for the New York Jets. I did the Giants last week in the blog. The Jet predictions are up, go game by game, how they're going to finish. Check out the blog over justinthesuffering.wordpress.com. Check out the Sky Guys podcast here. Last week, we kicked off video game month. We released our coverage of the Jedi Fallen Order story. That's in the podcast feed right now. This week, we're going to do a special crossover with Recovery Room video game stream. We're going to stream the beginning of Jedi Survivor, this follow-up here. That audio is going to be in the podcast feed later in the week, so you want to check that out. Feel free to do so on the podcast. Again, that is the Sky Guys podcast, same podcast platform as the top of the show. Also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And that's going to do it for this week's podcast. Coming up here next week on the podcast, we're going to get ready for the NBA Finals here. We're going to go ahead here and get ready for that. Do some other things and more. Another better week than A's fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.